sapphire streams sway and flow on a turning bed of gravel and bone. Chanting voices call to the ocean for bounty and bundled yearning. Cotton-mouthed snakes bite with toothless grins to fend away a torment, a curse, a writhing river of scales, a battlefield of regret. Revisited. Craven, said the dying. Forever you shall wander. Forever you shall tread. Upon my final breaths I say, Go, be free, be dead. A mound of skin they were. A mannequin of marrow and harried callus. An impotent boil, a quailing of shivering fear. An ill-fated hermit, bound to malevolent movement, to endless endeavor. The words. Those last words, always echoing, always piercing. A tortured memory that fitted string to muscle and forced a forward march. Give us all you have, they say, or perish on what shall be your final day. No matter. No reply. A sword of steel to say goodbye. Step by step. Step by step. A weighted corpse laden with instruments meant to maim and kill, useless all by nature, protruding like spikes from a castle wall. Fortune's favor, that even mortal treachery has no bearing on their crusade. Millennia means that skin is scar, that flesh is hollow, that leather meant to carry has become noose instead, to hang and hang but always breathe. The sounds they make are human still, wheezing air as if through sludge and sandpaper. Their ears, too, still function, though all they hear are whispers. Stay close, stay by, stay nigh, stay near. A wandering mound, to best stay clear. A muttering toll, rumor to verse, too scared and frightened to lift their curse. Step by step, step by step, the mound preferred the cold to heat. Winter's chill numbs the pain to a dull ache, and when all is snow, it becomes easier to dream of what will never be, to create landscapes where the mound could sit and sleep and be at ease. While their body trudges, while their bones break, they fly among tapestries of stark clouds and lie upon soft deserts of woolen wheat. But always they wake and walk. Always the world takes and never stops. We are alike, said the world. We turn and turn and never cease. We are dead, replied the mound. We suffer and suffer and know no peace. Step by step. Step by step. Twenty times they walked the world. Twenty times to world's end. They wandered and treaded as the words ordained, searching for an end that never came. Never. The mound muttered. Never. 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 A black cloak stooped in front of them. Enough. 
the mound stopped. The mound died. Shapeless earth roils underneath, a combination of ice and coal and gilded fleece. You're cursed to wander, you're cursed to tread, a mortal's fate to bear such dread. Now it is finished, today it is done. But how can this be, O oh, wandering one? Tallies mark your eternal refrain, enough to carve a valley from rain, from mountains to deserts, from sand and from snow. How can you wander what you already know? Once upon a time, there was a dog. Its fur was autumn, and its eyes were the sea, and its heart was gold, the purest ever appraised. It hadn't a name, though it was called many things. The Allbounder, the Colossal Fluff. Yet even these mighty names do not do it justice, for before the dog, no evil could flourish. In a town on the western coast, there was a greedy baron. They were the kind of governor to lay out taxes like falling apples, wringing their people dry of funds, and leaving them to starve in their poverty. But still, when the dog came to visit the town, the villagers said that it was a good dog, and gave many treats. So, when the baron came the following morning, demanding even more of the villagers' livelihood to feed his own overwhelming wealth, the dog presented itself. At this, the baron was flummoxed, stunned before the grace and adorable nature of the dog. The baron flew into a regretful passion, his money flying out of his pockets and back into the hands of the villagers who only watched in wonder at these happenings. The deed to the baron's mansion rocketed through the air and into the dog's mouth, who gave it to the shocked onlookers. And finally, the baron declared himself under arrest and guilty of crimes that would lead to a life sentence in prison. Flabbergasted by this turn of fate, the villagers turned to thank the dog, but found that it had disappeared, fading down the road, as if following the wind. In the central continent, there was a great war between two nations. So terrible were the conflicts that many had perished, and the land was scarred beyond repair. It had become clear to its participants, that its end would only truly come when one nation remained among two. A dark sadness had descended onto those who wished to stop the violence and death. Of course, in its travels, the dog wandered far and wide, so it was soon that it found the chaos and horror that had gripped the warring countries. But when it trotted to the front lines and confronted the soldiers fighting, those on both sides said that the dog was in fact a big dog, and even perhaps a brave dog. And so, at sunrise, when the armies rushed to clash once more, the dog attempted a high five, 
and all present were blown away by the awesome act and the enormous character the dog had revealed from themselves. Immediately, the soldiers broke all of their weapons, and a truce was called. Undeterred, the dog was of course present for the peace talks, where leaders initially attempted to argue for advantageous terms. Inexplicably, a judge's wig appeared on the dog's head, and the representatives were stricken by its inherent, unquestionable authority. In the end, all sides fervently committed to lasting change and cooperation. The finish of these peace talks were marked by yet another incredible event. When the dog handshook those present, and then flew away into the night sky, the very stars parting as it went. And lastly, in the valley of a crooked mountain range, there was a sprawling metropolis. For ages it had stood as a beacon of progress and utopian ideals, its inhabitants never knowing hunger and never fearing for their lives or well-being. It was not without issues, the city, but the people worked hard to better it and themselves. Unfortunately, on a day no one could have predicted, a nearby volcano erupted and destroyed the town, burying it under a desert of ash. When the dog arrived, it found a merchant crying near the desolation. They had been away for a month, trading their family's wares at nearby towns and villages, and had returned to find their city and their family annihilated. The dog tried to comfort the merchant, snuggling into them and chasing the worst of their grief away, and in time they fell asleep. The dog woke to find that the merchant had relinquished a bone for its use, in gratitude for its efforts. The dog, excited and immeasurably moved by the gesture, could not control itself as it spun into a fit of quick-footed tippy-taps. A great column of light descended from the heavens then, blinding the merchant before they observed with utter and complete astonishment as the ash cleared from the valley. Brick by brick, the city rebuilt itself, and person by person, those lost in the calamity were restored to life, walking on uncertain feet as they marveled at such cosmic hospitality. The merchant found their family and told the people of what had occurred. They rushed as one to find and thank the dog, but instead were graced with yet another vision as they witnessed the dog float away into the horizon, off to better stories and new days. These are just a few of a countless number that are the dogs in many miracles. And though this story takes place far in the past, the dog lives still, and its deeds today are just as great. Hello, all. It's your bestest pal and narrator, Matthew Collins, here, stopping the podcast for just a moment to thank you so much for listening to the second episode of The 100 Stories, a short story podcast that features a collection of original works from the coolest writer around, me. If you enjoy the show and are wondering how best to support it, spread the word. 
Your friends and family and loose acquaintances are all fair game. Go nuts. Our next episode will be up sometime in the new year, likely end of January, early February. Stay tuned. If you want to stay informed on all the news and updates regarding The 100 Stories, follow us on Twitter, at The 100 Stories. Capital T, capital S, and 100 is the number, not the words. Looking forward to seeing you all there. Alrighty, I think that's it. It's time I let you all go to enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Hey, so that last one, the one with the dog, it was fake, right? Are you... are you asking me if that was a true story? Oh, I shouldn't have asked. Never mind. No, no, please just say it. Say it out loud. I want to hear it. I'm not going to say it. Just forget it. Dearest RJ, was the story about the cute puppy who solved war a true story? You're the worst. The worst. Rich heavens above, thank you for letting me live to see this day. Oh, you pure soul. I can't believe I asked you. I can't believe it. Perhaps if we believe hard enough, the dog will appear. Uh, Clap your hands if you believe in love. Uh, oh, very good. It's all true, though. Very funny. Ha ha. Some miles east of a famous mire, where a fortress of silver once sank, there was a graveyard. It was a gray, cold, ruined place where memories go to be forgotten, where dreams go to be erased. No one visited the idle tombstones. No one wandered the expanse. No one took the time to read the names and write the words and write the wrongs. But it had a caretaker. It was a youth, vibrant and radiant amidst the bones and the maggots. They skipped between the graves, humming hallowed tunes they had been told would soothe spirits and whisk disgruntled ghosts far, far away, into whatever followed. But, whatever they did, the graveyard remained cracked, broken. The youth polished the stones day and night, maintaining the monoliths and the sarcophagi with much zeal. They planted flowers, resplendent flowers, that reflected moonlight and gave such fragrance that one could be reminded of bright days and low fires. 
One day, there were visitors to the graveyard, but not to see the stones or walk the grounds. They had come to bury. A new grave was to be tended. But the youth turned them away. The cemetery is full. You will have to find another. So they left, and the youth returned to their isolation. An elk came the next day, nudging at sun-heated stone with its snout, and lying down to bathe in the daylight. Excuse me, said the youth. This is a memory. If you cover it for too long, I will forget. So the elk departed, sweeping out beyond the vision of the graveyard. The following morning, a cardinal flew into the grounds, whisking about the property, until finally it came upon the youth, who had just woken. The cardinal tilted its head. Why do the graves have no names? I can't remember. You hum such wonderful songs. Do they lift the spirits like you hope they do? I don't know. The flowers you planted flourish at night, but who would visit a graveyard in the dark? I would. The cardinal regarded the youth solemnly. Do you want me to stay? Yes. So the graveyard had two caretakers, who worked in tandem to ensure its upkeep. Autumn came. Winter. Snow stained into the rock, but the youth dipped it into a pool of honey and transformed it into spring. The cardinal kept company and pecked holes in the clouds so the sun would seep through. As days turned to nights and light flashed into shadow, the youth's countenance changed. No longer were they the joyful keeper of a solitary cemetery but a solemn tender of ruins and crumbled pasts. The youth and the cardinal decided to watch the sky one evening, dazzled by stars scarring across the dark. The cardinal questioned, You seem quieter now than you were before. Have I burdened you so? No. You have been a gift. Then why have you changed? I haven't. No one is buried in this graveyard, Cardinal. I know. The coffins are empty, and the flowers are false. The monuments are mirrors, and the mausoleum is a reliquary of my own making. I understand. I told you once that the graves here have no names. Yes. There is a sign in front of my house with my name on it. The stars sparkled above. An enchanting display. The cardinal hovered into the air. Do you want to leave, caretaker? Yes.
said the youth. Then come with me. So they did, feather and foot, step by step, until the cemetery was so beyond their reach that the youth could at last start anew. The graveyard stands still and empty to this moment, left to crumble in the passage of decades. There is indeed a house on the grounds, but at its fore there is no sign, and there is no name.